But the advance guard of this train moved with more dignity and finally showed as three typical scouts of the western country. The ponies of the riders accompanying the caravan moved softly at the Indian foxtrot, and rough as the horses appeared, the men were still rougher, and yet their costumes were fitted to their life. They wore coarse shirts, blue as a rule, and long coats of buckskin that fanned out at the bottom, so as to give the rider plenty of room in the saddle. Below the waist they were dressed like Indians, with leather trousers or leggings and with moccasins on their feet. Some of them wore soft hats, always with wide flopping brims that curled up and down as the wind struck them, while others had bits of cloth wrapped, Moorish fashion, around the head. These were young men, indifferent as Indians to the glare of the prairie sun. These riders were equipped for the longest journey— almost always with a long small-bore rifle kept in a case to protect it from the weather and with knives, whetstones, pouches, and horns for bullets and powder, even with bullet molds with leather wrapped around the handles. The advance guard now approached the fort. On either side was a young man, and in the center was an imposing rider with silver hair flowing down over his shoulders or lifting gently in the wind. His face showed no more than middle age— but his features had the look of being hammered by time and weather, and his jaw was habitually locked in grim determination. It was not an easy face to look into. The eyes rested upon it as upon a book that is sure to contain tales of wild adventures. One could feel the burn of the desert and the white sweep of the blizzard as he drew nearer. One could feel starvation, the exhaustion of endless marches, long seasons of watchfulness when every bush might hold an enemy. But though his hair was whitened, it somehow made him look only more fierce and formidable. One felt that here was a man who would be master of all situations. When he came up to Meany, he raised his hand, in Indian salute. Then, with a mutual murmur of pleasure, the two men shook hands. The newcomer was William Duncan, long known to Meany associated with him in many enterprises and famous throughout the West. He was at home in the mountains and a leader of mountain men. He was at home in the plains and a leader in the more dangerous work there. He was celebrated as trapper, hunter, scout, and Indian fighter. Many said that twenty brass tacks had been hammered into the stock of his rifle. Duncan and Meany now drew back upon a hummock. The youngsters gave them respectful distance. Duncan began to smoke as the train went by. He took out a bowl of red stone, the famous pipestone of the Indian plainsman. He filled this with tobacco mixed with shreds of fragrant bark, fitted a long stem to the bowl, sprinkled powdered buffalo dung on top of the smoking mixture, and lighted the pipe with a shower of sparks from his flint and steel. These preparations were made without haste, and yet with the skilled speed of long practice. "'I've never seen cattle come in from the river looking fatter,' said Meany. Duncan blew a puff of smoke upon his hands, which he rubbed together. He blew another puff to the ground, directed a third toward the sky, and automatically passed the pipe to his companion. Meany smiled faintly at the Indian ceremony through which Duncan was passing with such mechanical absent-mindedness, but he was careful to accept the pipe gravely.' puff at it in the same fashion and pass it back in exactly the same position in which he had received it. One never could tell. Every pipe had its special way to be smoked, and not even Meany could know to what extent the Indian superstitions of the plains had seized upon the individual trapper and trader. 
They're fatter cattle than I'll ever bring in again, said Duncan. But I've had an anchor all the trip. I'm five days late. I've been anchored on the way. He said this with a gradually increasing heat. Meany did not venture a remark. He continued to watch the oxen heaving past, leaning on their yokes and swaying in clumsy unison. They were very slow, but the thrust of their weight had a resistless force far beyond that of a mule or a horse. By the size and condition of the animals, and by the manner in which they pulled and the sort of a vehicle they were drawing, Meany could estimate almost to a hundredweight the burden of the cargo in every wagon. "'You're traveling heavy, though,' he remarked to Duncan. "'I'm heavy with meat today,' said Duncan. "'I'm bringing in enough to fill the bellies of every man in the fort, "'and all the red men outside of it, even if they're forty-pound feasters.' Meany expressed his pleasure, for it was one...